This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and demane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Everybody knows that the dice are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor. The rich get rich, that's how it goes. Everybody knows. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Everybody knows that the dice are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Things first. Someone suggested maybe it might be helpful if I gave out these numbers. I don't know what they mean, but they might have something to do with um, actually the smooth running of the program. Apparently, if you call these numbers, you can actually participate, and that would be most welcome. Four one six three six zero zero seven four zero. Four one six three six zero zero seven four zero. For you listening in the Greater Toronto area, and. Uh, from, for those listening from Maine to Minnesota, from Thunder Bay down to the Carolinas, why don't you write these numbers down? They might come in handy. 1-866-740-4740. 1-866-740-4740. Welcome to, what is this, Stan, week four. Wow. This is what they call the quickening, right? Have you noticed how time seems to be speeding up, or at least I think once you hit 40, uh, that's what happens. Uh, it's just unbelievable, incomprehensible, and frightening to me how time travels so so quickly. Uh, many uh, of you have, have, have noticed this, I'm sure. A little later in the program, we're going to reach out to uh, upstate New York and speak with a very interesting, controversial individual by the name of Pastor Harry and uh, he is the, uh, the the pastor of the uh, the Church of Philadelphia online it's on the internet and uh, also the author of uh, a couple of interesting books having to do with Satan further he studies Bible codes what are Bible codes you may ask utilizing a piece of software that you in fact can can purchase and use uh, 
he is able to decipher or find and then decipher encrypted messages in the pages of the Old Testament primarily. These hidden messages or Bible codes, he believes, many believe, were placed there by the Creator and are in fact proof positive of the divine nature of the Bible. But these encrypted messages are, well, they speak to us about things that are happening today in the news, whether it's swine flu, uh, whether it's uh, presidential elections. All of these things can be found encrypted in the pages of the Bible. Pastor Harry will be here in about one hour's time to talk to us about Bible codes, swine flu, the next terror attack, and, uh, and many other things. First of all, however, a lot of what we talk about on this program has to do with the paranormal. Recent polls suggest that about 30% of you, 30% of you believe in ghosts. 20% of you believe it's possible to communicate with the dead. My next guests are exploring the links between paranormal phenomena and consciousness and vibration or resonance and something called the zero-point grid. As physicists today try and find the theory that will explain everything in one simple mathematical formula, new physicists, or the new physics rather, is going to have to account for a field of consciousness and it may have to deal with the idea that intelligence and awareness do not require a physical body in the sense that we are used to. The book is The Resonance Key. And the authors, Mary or Marie Jones, rather, and Larry Flaxman, uh, join me on the line, The Conspiracy Show. Welcome aboard, Marie and Larry. How are you tonight? Hi, good. How are you, Richard? I'm well, thank you. And Larry? Doing great. Thanks for having us. Well, we should point out, uh, uh, Marie, you've, uh, you and I have talked many times in the past. Uh, yeah. Your previous works include... Um, I'm never sure how to pronounce this. It's science spelled with a P, as in P-S-I. That's good. That'll work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, science with a P. And 2013. Science with a silent P. That's good. Yes. And 2013, End of Days, A New Beginning. And uh, you have worked with uh, with Larry on a number of projects, including 1111, The Time Prompt Phenomenon. Uh, Larry is the president of the Arkansas Paranormal and Anomalous Studies team and co-founder of Para Explorers. He serves as a technical consultant to several paranormal research groups and has been widely interviewed for print, TV, and radio. This sounds like a, a very obvious question, but I think we have to address it, and that is, what is, in fact, reality? If, if, <laughs> if, if we're attempting to, to uh, explain uh, you know, paranormal uh, phenomena, uh, I guess we need to first explain what we mean by reality. Absolutely. I had this conversation with someone a couple of days ago, too. If we don't even understand the nature of reality, there's absolutely no way we're going to figure out the paranormal. And we first have to come up with some really good, solid theories and ideas about what reality might be. All right. Larry, Marie, take it away, then, because uh, I'd love to hear your definition. I've been grappling or struggling with one my whole life. 
I have no clue. <laughs> Larry, do you know? <laughs> no, not really. I think it's, it's such an individual uh, experience for each person. That, no, I don't think there's really a, a definitive answer that we can give you for that. All right. Well, then, I guess then the question, uh, the next question is, where does reality come from? Or is it, is it uh, a product of our own consciousness? This, you know, I think that this is the step that Larry and I are at in our research and in our pursuits of the mysteries of the world is that, you know, we started out in the paranormal field. Now we're kind of moving towards trying to figure out what consciousness is and if there is more one level of reality operating here. And if so, what is the mechanism by which we're able to access those other levels of reality? Is there a... Is there stuff going on outside of us that we have no control over? Is it all a construct of our own imaginations and minds and brains and consciousness? These are the questions that we're asking and trying to tackle, because I don't know that we can answer them, um, but we're certainly trying to tackle them in the books that we're writing. All right. Well, the book is The Resonance Key, exploring the links between vibration, consciousness, and the zero-point grid, and we'll get to the zero-point grid a little bit later. Uh, but first of all, we need to find out what is what is the connection between vibration or resonance and human consciousness. Hmm. Wow, uh, it could be a lot of things. Um, one of the things that we believe is is that resonance, basically sound uh, frequencies, can account for everything. Um, our intuitive ability to to view the world, kind of our lens uh, that we view the world through. But resonance really can, it, it affects everything. Um, every particle has a resonant frequency. The human body has specific uh, frequencies that we're attuned to that, and that we react to. So the reception of our reality uh, is also very much a, a reception of, of resonance to a certain extent. And also consciousness could be that key that we just talked about, that mechanism by which we're able to access reality in in all of its levels all of the different vibrational frequencies that exist out there consciousness might be the one link that allows us to sync up to some of those frequencies and find out what's going on out there and and i think interestingly enough larry and i've always kind of used the uh you know a radio as a symbol of what might be happening is that there's all kinds of stations out there that you can tune into your consciousness has the ability to tune into any station. But first it has to find the right frequency that it's being broadcast on. Do the, 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 has any study been done on the, on the um, let's say, the, the, the brains of, uh, of people that tend to have or experience paranormal phenomena? Is there anything unusual about uh the brain for example of someone who sees ghosts or sees ufo's or hears the voices of dead uh, of the dead i mean do their brains operate differently on a different frequency what we found is that no everybody has the ability to to perceive those things when certain parts of the brain are triggered and the work of Michael Persinger has been very um, important to us. We're working on a book now where we're talking about this very thing. Can the brain be triggered to perceive paranormal phenomena? And, and sure, it can. It has been done. It's been done in laboratory settings. 
And, and in many ways, it's been done with sound and frequency, particularly infrasound, that if you expose the brain to certain frequencies of sound, the person who's exposed will claim that they sense a presence in the room or that they see things, they hallucinate, they feel like they're being stared at, they, they get chills as if there's somebody in the room with them. So, yeah, I mean, I think we can trigger the brain. Well, we know that certain drugs certainly do um, trigger the brain to see things. So is this all something that's going on inside of us? Well, or is it actual physical manifestations out there that we'll, we're connecting into? We'll, uh, we'll discuss further with Marie Jones and Larry Flaxman, authors of The Resonance Key, exploring the links between vibration, consciousness, and the zero-point grid. My name is Richard Serrett. Poking holes in the darkness. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. AM 740. To see the light, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. And you can follow me on Twitter. And uh, also I direct you to my website, richardserrett.com, S-Y-R-E-T-T.com, and that'll give you the heads up each week what's coming up on the program and if you're looking for past show information it's all there as well and uh, my new 9-11 series is up there as well available for uh, download right now uh, talking with Marie Jones and Larry Flaxman authors of The Resonance Key exploring the links between vibration consciousness and the zero point grid let me just uh, crib uh, a few lines from the uh, the back of the uh, the dust jacket here as physicists search for the theory of everything those who dare to explore the paranormal are similarly searching for a unifying theory to explain the vast unknown from UFOs ghosts and cryptoids to clairvoyance remote viewing and teleportation how do these things occur where do they occur from what triggers their manifestation in our simple three-dimensional reality uh, Marie and Larry uh, now you're not discounting the the, 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 the the very real possibility that, that people are actually having genuine paranormal experiences, but there is a suggestion in the book that that uh, there could be some sort of uh, trickery involved or the, the, the mind being uh, uh, deceived, for example, by something called, uh, for example, the, uh, the standing wave, which is what, 19 megahertz? Or 19 hertz, I'm sorry. Uh, explain how a vibration in a room can actually cause, I don't know, a, uh, uh, a delusion or, a, or a, uh, um, the, the, uh, the false impression that you're having a paranormal experience. Well, I, I think you're referring to the incident with uh, Vic Tandy uh, back at Coventry University. Uh, for your listeners that are not familiar with that, uh, Vic Tandy was an engineer uh, that was working late in his laboratory one evening. Uh, Mr. Tandy was a uh, an avid fencer. Of course, we dumb Americans, for the most part, don't know what fencing is, but you guys probably do. Uh, fencing is the, the sport of fencing using a, a foil, using like a sword-like apparatus. Uh, Mr. Tandy had his foil in a, uh, a vice, and, and he was performing some maintenance on it to straighten the blade. Apparently what was happening was the maintenance team had installed a new uh, air unit in the laboratory and the air was, was blowing on the foil in such a, 
a manner that it was causing it to vibrate while it was stationary within the uh, within the, the clamp. The vibration of the foil created what what's called a, a standing wave, and it basically was it created a resonant frequency of 19 hertz. And he, uh, Mr. Candy, had had heard stories that the location that they were at was haunted. So of course, I'm sure psychologically that played a, a significant part of this as well. But what occurred was the standing wave had set up in the room and it had amplified by the size of the room uh, to the point where he had seen or what he believed to see a dark mass crossing across uh, a portion of the room. Well, they did some research and they, they studied the, uh, the engineering of the room. They were able to determine that what actually happened was that the, fo- the vibration of the foil uh, vibrating at that specific frequency was actually hitting the resonant frequency of the human eyeball. So what was happening was the frequency was setting up uh, a physiological effect within the human body where the, the fluid within uh, Mr. Candy's eyeball was vibrating to the point that very micro, they were, they were very much micro uh, oscillations where it wasn't like an extremely obvious vibration like if you're riding in a car you would see, uh, but it was enough where it would, it would cause uh, some specific amount of, of visual uh, occurrence. So that, that's really what occurred in that particular instance. So there's been some, some research that's come out uh, where they've done basically physiological tests of the human body, and they've determined that basically every organ in our body has a resonant frequency to it. As you know, the human body is primarily water, and when you vibrate water and you vibrate our organs, it tends to do some very unusual things. But the, the visual aspect of that is probably one of the most fascinating, probably one of the least... Um, readily understood by those in the paranormal community. That's, you know, one of the first things that probably should be checked when they're doing paranormal investigations. They should check for standing waves. They should check for any type of a, an obvious uh, environmental indicator of something that would influence the body. Well, Larry, you're a ghost hunter. I mean, you're, you're president of our past. Uh, when... I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't really call myself a ghost hunter. Um, we are definitely, we're not a ghost hunting group, per se. Uh, we're not like the typical uh, groups that are out there. Uh, we look specifically at environmental conditions that may be prescient to a paranormal event. Okay. We happen to be interested in paranormal phenomena, but we're, we're certainly not, uh, I wouldn't certainly lock us into the title of ghost hunters. All right, fair enough. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a colloquial uh, description, but it's an important distinction you make. But I, I guess Richard, it, I, I want to make a comment yeah. real quick, though. Larry and I, and you know, I'm speaking for him, but I'm pretty sure the discussions we've had, we don't necessarily feel that what people are experiencing is not physical. What we're trying to find out, though, is what our role is, because the more that we research, the the longer that we are in this field, the more convinced we're becoming, and we're not alone in this, that a lot of this is occurring in the consciousness, in the mind, but it still has a physical manifestation, and we're trying to find what that link is. In so it, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say to someone if they've had a ghost throw something at them that that didn't happen. But we are trying to find out what that person themselves, as an observer, as a participant, as a conscious sentient being, might have had to do with the event. Uh, Richard, I can, let me throw one other thing in uh, to kind of tag along with what Maria is saying, too. With, with the, the hundreds of investigations that I've done within the paranormal field, I, I can tell you 
without a doubt, 99% of them uh, there has been a natural explanation for, whether it's something uh, physiologically uh, or it was something environmentally. There's 99% of the time we've been able to find a very much of a a normal explanation for something. But, of course, that still leaves the 1% that you can't explain, the paranormal. Well, the, um, the endless loop ghost that uh, walks down the same set of staircases uh, about the same time every night mm-hmm. and does the exact same thing, uh, that, that type of manifestation, uh, often described as some sort of a, an, an, an echo or an imprint. Uh, a recording. Yes. Sure. Uh, that ghost doesn't seem to have any consciousness. You can't communicate with it. It doesn't, doesn't seem to be, uh, to, to be aware of what, what's going on around it. But, you know, people report seeing this same ghost going up and down the stairs or whatever. Mm-hmm. What, is, what is the connection, do you think, between that and, and uh, resonance? Well, uh, first of all, I think that's a, it's a very fascinating uh, phenomenon. I've actually not had the opportunity to really get to investigate something like that, but certainly from a scientific perspective, it makes a little bit of sense. My question, though, is how does the, the initial emotional um, imprint or whatever get recorded into the, to the uh, substrate material in the first place? I've read lots of articles about how um, they, they had found some Chinese, some ancient Chinese bowls where they were able to somehow, uh, the sound of the environment when the bowls were created was recorded onto those bowls, and they were able to to reproduce sounds from millennia ago. But my question still is, how does that occur? I mean, obviously, when you look at like a CD, a a compact disc, or you look at a 45 or 33, you know, there's a physical method uh, that the sound gets recorded onto that material. But when, when you're talking about a visual manifestation, much like what we're talking about, where there's a recording or somewhat, it seems like a recording of, of some type of a being uh, doing the exact same thing time after time after time, the interesting thing to me is how that occurred in the first place. Not so much, you know, that, it, that it's happening, because it really does kind of make sense why it would happen, especially if you look at, you know, the, the recording material. Obviously, you know, like a cassette tape is iron oxide. It, it's based on rust. Within stone, there's a tremendous amount of, of iron oxide content. It, I guess it really depends on the building material, but it's interesting to me how that occurs in the first place. So kind of coming back to your, your question, how is that possible? Well, it all comes back to sound. It all comes back to resonance, and it all comes back to, to wavelengths and frequencies, how those things get recorded into those materials in the first place to allow that type of a, of a non-intelligent haunting but to take that one step further, there has to be a place that that information is recorded into that can be accessed again and again. And that's where our concept of the zero-point grid comes into play. Um, if everything is information, that information is stored in some master computer that we all may have the ability to tap into to some, access that information. Some call it the Akashic Record. Uh, and in the world of quantum physics, I suppose, we'll call it the zero-point grid, and we'll talk about that when we return. Marie Jones, Larry Flaxman, co-authors of The Resonance Key, exploring the links between vibration consciousness and the zero-point grid. Don't go away. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett.
Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Pastor Harry will be with me in about one hour's time to discuss Bible codes. I should say in about a half hour's time. You'll want to stay tuned for that. Right now, a discussion of uh, paranormal phenomena. Where do these paranormal experiences emanate from? Are we, in fact, responsible for them? Somewhere deep within our consciousness or superconsciousness? Marie Jones, Larry Flaxman, my guests, authors of The Resonance Key, exploring the links between vibration, consciousness, and the zero-point grid. The zero-point grid. Uh, we, we were trying to, to explain where the uh, the image, for example, or the visual of a uh, a ghost is imprinted upon. I mean, what is the medium? It's not uh, it's not film. It's not it's not uh, you know iron oxide filings uh, like an audio tape recording. Yet we yet people experience this. They see a ghost. Uh, and uh, Marie, you're alluding to the, um, the possibility that what we're talking about here, the the um, the uh, the recording device or the the medium, might be in fact the zero point grid, where where everything essentially that that happens is is stored, and we all we we can all tap into that at some point. So explain to me in layman's term then what the the zero point grid actually is. Well, we took the concept of the zero point field that is being discussed in both the scientific and the um, metaphysical communities, I should say. The idea that there is this field of all fields, it's formless, but it has structure. It contains all of the information, past, present, and future, that has ever been matter, form, energy, thought, you name it. It's like a dumping ground or, or a clearinghouse of information. If that's the case, uh, you know, that's where people are accessing what we might call psychic abilities, clairvoyance, remote viewing, um, intuition, you name it. But Larry and I kind of felt like the idea of a field wasn't quite right. A field implies something flat, uh, something that, you know, it, it doesn't have layers to it. And we, in our discussions, felt like perhaps this information clearinghouse is more like a grid it's got different layers it's got different levels and and they're infinite in size infinite in, in amount and the way that we access them well one of the ways would be resonance would be matching up frequencies between one level and another that might explain some of the inconsistencies in the paranormal world the fact that things don't show up consistently they don't show up when you want them to it's not steady they don't stick around for long you know i worked in the ufo field for a long time and the most fascinating reports were those where people said it just came into view instantaneously and then zipped right out of view it just disappeared as if it were being projected from somewhere and the projector was then turned off so we're looking at, we're developing this concept of the zero-point grid as being this information storing house from which everybody is accessing these experiences, the voluntarily or involuntarily, I should say. The, the idea of things uh, flipping in and out of, uh, of, of view, I recall a conversation with a, 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 a cryptoid investigator in the U.K., and, uh, of course, it's very interesting. In the U.K., a lot of people are seeing um, jungle cats yeah. out, out on the moors. 
I've got to go there because, boy, they have a lot of action out there. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. I'll say. I have a lot it's, of friends out there, too. I yeah, tell you, it's, it's uh, woo-woo central wild. over there. Uh, but the, these uh, these Black Panthers, and there are, there are some reasonable explanations that these are exotic pets that have been released uh, and, and so forth, uh, or perhaps they were there from you know ancient Roman times, and the Roman um, the Roman governors at the time, of course, collected these uh, or and imported these um, exotic animals from all around the known world at the time, and and perhaps they've survived in 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 the UK. But the thing where it gets interesting is that people often observe these these. Uh, black panthers and then all of a sudden they see them and then they're gone right which uh which which uh harkens back to what you were just saying earlier about how in fact um it might have something to do with you know our sort of uh our consciousness connecting with the zero point grid and then losing the signal for for a moment or two and, you know, we have in our in our book we talk about an onion. If you cut an onion in half, you could see all the different layers. It makes up the entirety of the onion. But there's all those different layers that you can peel back. Well, maybe that's what reality is like. And these cryptids and, and ghosts and that trapped energy and, and all of this other stuff, it all exists on these different layers. And our job is to try to find a way to connect with those layers and i think what's happening is that stuff is leaking through we're getting crosstalk but we don't understand necessarily the mechanism by by which that's happening i had uh, rosemary ellen guiley on the program uh, a week ago paranormal investigator who's been um, playing around with something called frank's box and my understanding is that this this device was something that originally was uh, Theorized, or perhaps even uh, uh, developed in some in some way by Thomas Edison, who had a very keen interest in the paranormal. And towards the end of his life, I believe he was quoted in a magazine uh, saying that it, it it should be possible theoretically to con- to to contact souls on the other side using something like this device that's now floating around called Frank's box. Uh, have either of you used, uh, attempted to use Frank's box? And, and what is your, what do you think is, is, is going on with this thing? Is it, does it work? Um, actually, I've known Frank for, for several years. Uh, I, I actually own uh, three of his boxes. Um, I've done extensive experiments with it. Uh, my personal opinion uh, is that it's, it's really nothing more than what we refer to as paradelia. For your listeners that don't know the, the technology behind Frank's box, basically it, it's a scanning AM and shortwave receiver uh, that chops up the signals. So it, it takes just standard over-the-air broadcast frequencies, chops them up into into random bits and pieces, and then it kind of leaves it up to you to to interpret the sound or to to uh, matrix the sound together into into something that you understand. There's many times that we've used it, and we actually have a, a updated digital version of this thing put out by another, by an actual company uh, that's produced the same type of technology based off of Frank's system, but much more stable. And we've played around with it uh, on our investigations, and the responses that we've gotten have been pretty cool, kind of unusual. Sometimes it, the responses seem quite sentient and quite responsive to the, to the questions that we actually ask, but. There's always, in the back of my mind, I always have the the thought that just because of the fact that we're listening to radio frequencies, we're listening to radio broadcasts, 
uh, it's, it's taking radio broadcasts and it's chopping them into pieces and then our, our brain is formulating those pieces back into understandable words. So most of the time when we've asked questions of it, uh, one person will hear one thing, another person will hear another thing, and there's never really clear consensus among multiple individuals in a group as to what's said. Now, with that being said, when I've played with it on my own and I've heard responses, to me, like I said, they sound very sentient, very uh, responsive to the questions I was asking. But if I, if I send copies of what I've heard to other investigators in my group to listen to, there's never a consensus. Everyone hears something mm. completely differently. And that's, that is 100% proof that there is uh, audio, matrixing, audio matrixing that's occurring, which is it's an audio form of pareidolia, which is our brain's uh, ability, basically, to find patterns from nothingness. It's a survival mechanism that we've had. I want to add something to that because this just happened, and it's a, a perfect example of the matrixing at work. Um, I saw the movie Cloverfield with a group of people, and I don't know if, if either of you guys have seen it, but at the very end of the credits, and nobody knew this until they came out on the, and said it on the radio and everybody rushed back to see the movie again, if you watch the movie all the way through the end of the credits, somebody whispers something that is really important to understand what happened. Ten different people watching the movie heard ten different things. Mm. I insist that, that the guy says one thing. You know, everybody that I was with. And that's what's happening here. But also, Larry and I have discussed the possibility that is Frank's box, are these devices picking up thoughts of the investigators? Because we know that now that thought has energy. We know that it has some kind of form. We don't quite understand what it is, but... When you're asking your question, you know, when you're getting your EVP, is it possible that the results, the responses that you're getting are coming from the people in the room? Right. Are we somehow skewing the response? And I'll add one more thing to that. One of the pieces of equipment that we use on our investigations is something called a Faraday cage. And a Faraday cage is an electromagnetically shielded box. And what we use this for is we'll place digital recorders into it. We'll place the the Frank's box into it. in, a, in an attempt, well, let me back up. It basically blocks out every signal. Any external influence, uh, once it hits the box, it's completely nullified. It goes to ground. So if you put a cell phone in the box, you close the lid, cell phone signal drops to zero. Same thing when you put a radio receiver in there, much like the Frank's box, it drops to zero. Digital recorder, same thing. You put it in there, and it basically removes any possibility of external contamination from uh, an audio signal being broadcast through sound waves or through the uh, radio waves. So when when you do that, when you put a digital recorder within the box, when you put Frank's box in there, uh, when you do any type of audio experiment within the within the Faraday cage, we get absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing. So that to me really does signal that yes, it's you know it, it's completely ex- it's a completely external. Um, event that's occurring, which it is. I mean, the Frank's box uses radio waves. Uh, but the same thing with, with digital recorders. You know, people will go into a reportedly haunted location, set up their digital recorders, start asking questions, go home, review the recordings, and they'll, they'll get some miraculous uh, EVP captures. Well, when we, use the, uh, when we use the Faraday cage, we get no such thing. So that, you know, is, that to me is a pretty, pretty significant sign of, of what probably is occurring. So just to just clarify for, for me then the, the conclusion: when you use the Faraday cage, 
there is there is no recorded there's no electronic voice phenomena there is no nothing. communication in front. so the conclusion nothing. then is and we have done that basically on pretty much every investigation that we've done we've, we've utilized uh that every well i should say every major investigation that we've done we've utilized the faraday cage as part of our standard experiment methodology and we have a, a, a controlled environment. We try to control the environment as possible. We have the same questions that we ask every time. We use the same piece of equipment every time within the Faraday cage and the exact same thing. The results are reproducible as the same thing, i.e. nothing. There's, so there's spell it out for, for a neophyte like myself in, in black and white. The, this, this then suggests, highly suggests to you that the, the, the phenomenon is real or not real. Well, to me, it suggests two things. It suggests that it primarily is one of radio wave frequencies or some type of a, a external stimulus that's influencing the recorder. Uh, but as Marie alluded to also, maybe that external influence is actually internal from us. In other words, maybe somehow we as the observer of the experiment or we as the questioner uh, for, the, for the EVP questions are actually somehow imprinting our some type of a psychic uh, Memory, or we're imprinting some some sort of a response onto the recording medium ourselves. So whether it's an external stimulus from radio waves, or it's from you know externally being projected from us, th there's something going on. Um, I, I would say the vast majority of it can easily be explained by radio wave frequency propagation. Very very simply, every electronic device acts as an antenna, uh, regardless of what it is. When you've got a especially an analog recorder, which people are very fond of using in EVP sessions. An analog recorder, uh, not only do you have that the device acting as an antenna, but you also have some mechanical pieces of that as well that are introducing noise as well. A, a digital recorder doesn't have a, a motor, for instance, like an analog recorder does. There's the motor, the capstan, the head, all of the pieces of an analog recorder that add additional um, possibilities of Extra of, of sound being introduced into the to the source material. All right. Versus, Larry. Let me just jump in here. Uh, okay. When we come back, let's uh, move along and talk about uh, resonance as it applies to levitation, which takes us into an entirely new field. Uh, you know how the pyramids might have been built, built. Of course, the coral castle down in Florida. This is another fascinating aspect of the resonance key with authors Mary Marie Jones and Larry Flaxman. Stay with us. The truth will set you free, but first. It'll really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. I'm, I'm guessing, uh, Marie and, and Larry, that um, while I think you're being incredibly uh, objective and attempting to be very scientific in your approach, you're probably uh, annoying a lot of, of, uh, of, of people who who truly believe in, um, in, in ghosts and spirits and, and ghostly communication. And uh, uh, let's face it, there is almost a, a, uh, uh, an industry that's been built up around this. And, and uh, let's face it, it, it's exciting to think, uh, uh, somewhat romantic to think in, in, in the possibility of ghosts and spirit communication. What has the response been from, um, from the, you know, the believers? Are they annoyed with the book? My Marie, job is to annoy people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll let Larry I, 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 answer that one first. 
I can I can definitely answer that from the paranormal side of the house about the reception of this. Um, first of all, I don't think that you know we are just blindly going and debunking everything that's paranormal because I don't think that's possible. I, I legitimately think that there is some things that we're calling paranormal uh, that truly are normal simply because of our lack of understanding of the phenomena. But with that being said, I think there are also some things in our, our world, there has to be some things in our world that we can't explain. There, there has to be things that are outside of our current frame of reference that we, we just don't have the, the knowledge of or the, the understanding of at this point. But let me give you a perfect example. Within the paranormal community, there's a huge following about orbs. The orb phenomena is absolutely huge. Everybody takes pictures of these orbs. They think that they look in the orb picture, they see a picture of their dead grandmother or whatever it is. <laughs> we, we've got a very high-end piece of equipment called a particle counter. Um, we basically, we call it the orb buster. Basically what it is, you can go into an environment that you think may be the cleanest environment that, that's around. No dust, no airborne particulate matter. You think that this place is just, you know, hospital grade clean and I can tell you hospitals are actually not as clean as you might think they are. No kidding. <laughs> this piece of equipment will show you the, the amount of airborne particulate matter that's in the air, the particle size, the count, everything else. We have been able to show scientifically through validation and through repeatability that 99.9% of the orb phenomena is, is due to particulate contamination. It's due to airborne dust, basically. But with that being said, okay, we can prove scientifically that a person that due to the, the mechanism of a camera, due to the flash and due to the, the focal length between the, the photograph and the, and the speed of the shutter, and there's a bunch of, of, of different variables that come into play, but it, it's strictly a phenomena that's related to dust and cameras. But with that being said, we can prove that scientifically, but if somebody is using that as a coping mechanism, in other words, if someone has taken a picture of an orb, they believe it to be their, their long-lost brother, sister, mother, whatever, they're using that as, as a coping mechanism to make themselves feel better. Then, you know, I, I went to an investigation actually about two months ago where a person had taken a photograph of an orb perfectly centered, and they had it in a frame on their, on their counter. Uh, they believed that it was a photo of one of their children that had passed away. Very convinced of the fact that this dust particle that they have framed and put in a, a beautiful, you know, matted uh, photo frame was that somehow that, you know, spiritual imprint of their of their son that had passed away. It probably wasn't. It probably was just dust. But the fact that they believe that and the fact that it, it makes them feel better to believe that the that the son is still with them. Uh, who am I to tell those people, you know, hey, you got dust, buddy. That's really all you got. If it makes you feel better, go with it. And there, not everybody is after the same things as we are. Right. Marie and myself are both after answers. We're after black and white. We want to know from a scientific perspective what is the explanation for this phenomenology that we're, that we're uh, examining. But there's there's many groups out there, as you mentioned. You know, this is a there's a huge culture that's built up around this whole ghost hunting thing. There are many people that really are not in it for the same reason. No, and if they yeah. ever did find the truth, what would they do on Saturday night? They wouldn't know exactly. what to do with themselves. They think that that this has become a social phenomenon, much Very more much so than a drive to truth. If if you're right. looking for truth, you accept that truth whether it goes. Uh, 
along with what you believe or what you don't, you know, goes against that. You've got to accept the truth. Precisely. Well, the, the interesting thing is is, is that uh, uh, the, the explanation the, the, that, that um, you're exploring here, I think, is every bit as fascinating as Absolutely. as the, the the paranormal explanation that 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 uh, you know that the way that reality uh, is constructed you know and and uh, how how we can manifest our reality uh, through through resonance uh, you know you you, me- you mentioned um, the uh, the opening uh, you know passages in in the, in the Bible about God God spoke basically spoke the world into existence right. as a vibration. And, and Aborigines believe that we sing the world into existence. There's something going on here, people. Sound is important. Resonance is important. And again, I agree with you. I think that's much more fascinating. Uh, Larry and I again we've talked about the fact that the causes the cause may be more fascinating than the effects. The effects are the ghosts and the UFOs and the cryptids and the psychic abilities. The causes are what we're after, and they may be even more fascinating, and that's what drives me. That's what drives my passion and my research. And in no way are your findings suggesting that that our, our consciousness does not survive death. It just may we may not be able to to to, to measure it or to uh, you know to to identify it. But uh, you're not suggesting in any way. Uh, you know that that uh, there isn't life after death. No, or... and in fact, I no. think we're doing the opposite. We're saying that if everything is is information, if everything is imprinted on the grid, nothing dies, nothing ceases to exist. It just changes form. Right, and you know that is backed up completely by standard physics. You know, the first and second law of thermodynamics completely back that up. So no, I, I don't think that we're we're out to you know single handedly say that there is no such thing as life after death or, you know, anything after that, because I, I think Marie and I, we both completely agree that there is something else that occurs. We just don't know what it is. All right, we will get to uh, resonance as it pertains to uh, sonic levitation, I guess, uh, and, and the, and the, um, the origin uh, of the pyramids, how they might have been constructed, uh, the Coral Castle in Florida. This is an, another interesting aspect of the resonance key, exploring the links between vibration, consciousness, and the zero-point grid with Marie Jones and Larry Flaxman. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Bible Codes, coming up in about 10 minutes' time with Pastor Harry. You don't want to miss that one. Marie Jones, Larry Flaxman on the line, talking about their new book, The Resonance Key, exploring the links between vibration, consciousness, and the zero-point grid. The Pyramids. This, of course, has baffled uh, uh, people uh, for millennia, how they were able to uh, so precisely cut a a 100-ton slab of, of rock, move it hundreds of miles, and then and place it uh, in position where it is believed not even a, the, the largest, most powerful crane today would be able to do uh, that exercise with such precision. But the, this idea of resonance and vibration may go a long way uh, to explaining how the ancient Egyptians were able to do this. And this, to me, is absolutely mind-blowing. Marie, Larry, w- w- what's the principle behind uh, resonance and uh, the, the possible construction of the pyramids? Well, 
one of the, the theories, and of course this is just a theory uh, because there's no uh, surviving written records of how this occurred, but one of the theories is that man is, has at one part in our, or one time in our, uh, our history was able to, to harness and utilize sound as a mechanism for, for levitating and moving objects. Uh, as as you probably know, there's the blocks that were used in the construction of the, the Great Pyramid. They weigh you know multiple tons, and they've they've done some studies to figure out you know what are the logistics of having an actual workforce build a structure of that size, and they've tried to to even uh, lift blocks of that size using uh, some modern technology, which is still even very very difficult. So one of the theories is that if if you're able to hit the resonant frequency of an object, basically, uh, you can manipulate that object in such a fashion that it, it can be moved, it can be shuffled, it can be broken in half, uh, cut, shaped, etc. Uh, there is sound, obviously, it's a very, very powerful thing. There's something called a sonic jackhammer, which we use nowadays to split rock and to do uh, deep core mining. So sound is, is basically used to, to break rock up into smaller pieces like that. But but one of the theories is that they, they were able to harness somehow using sound to, to move these megalithic blocks of stone into position to create the, the pyramid. Uh, another example of utilizing sound uh, is supposedly uh, within the Coral Castle uh, down in, in Florida. Little tiny statured man, very, very small, I believe he's about four foot nine, five foot zero, and probably a hundred pounds soaking wet, was somehow able to manipulate and move blocks of, of coral stone uh, weighing up to 25 tons apiece without any uh, external help at all. He apparently didn't have anybody to help him build this thing. He built it completely as a labor of love uh, for his scorned sweetheart. So, you know, even using technology of today, creating something of, of that precision and, and of the, that weight is, is very, very difficult. It's not damn near impossible. So they've, people have, have come up with theories that they were able to use sound to manipulate those objects and manipulate the blocks of rock, uh, that once you're able to, to find the resonant frequency of the rock, that it basically would become, uh, it would be free from the bounds of gravity and that you could manipulate it as you wish. And, and this isn't just wild speculation. As I understand it, NASA is experimenting with this, and there may even be a patent for such a device. Is that not true? There is, yes. Um, NASA has done some research on that. They've done some research on electromagnetic uh, levitation of objects as well. Um, that's something that, you know, again, we, we've probably forgotten more about our ancient... We've probably forgotten more stuff that we knew in ancient history than, than we will ever know probably ever again. Um, so if that, if that was something that we once knew about, we're only now just rediscovering it and now re-understanding the, the, uh, the abilities of sound. For one final question, and uh, I guess it goes back to the, uh, uh, the question of whether paranormal phenomena is, is uh, a genuine uh, experience or, or whether it's somehow been manufactured from within our own consciousness but uh, I want to ask you about a uh, harp up in Alaska the uh, high frequency active aurora oh, yeah. research program mm -hmm. and uh, basically blasting the uh, the ionosphere with uh, with radio waves mm 
uh, ostensibly in the pursuit of some more sophisticated uh, form of communication that would allow the Defense uh, Department to communicate with, uh, for example, nuclear subs that don't resurface, right. and et cetera, et cetera. Right. Uh, is it possible for those of a more conspiratorial bent that part of what they're doing is, in fact, again, because they're using, obviously, resonance and vibration here, mm-hmm. that they are creating in our minds or they're trying to develop the potential to to uh, produce uh, hallucinations and, and some sort of paranormal phenomena, some sort of mass hysteria type experiment. Do I think it's possible or do I think it, it's likely? Uh, either or. I, I think it's possible, um, but I think it, it's not very likely. Um, I, I definitely don't consider myself a, a tinfoil hat-wearing uh, individual at all. When it comes to conspiracy theories, you know, I'm, I'm all about listening, but show me the facts behind it. And for the most part, when you look at conspiracy theories and you start looking at the facts behind them, uh, they really start to get somewhat murky and gray. The Heart Project, yes, I think there is possibility that it could be used for nefarious purposes, especially knowing what we know about sound and its, its uh, physiological influence on the human body. But do I think it's, it's likely? No, I really don't. I think if, if the, the government was looking to do some type of a wide-scale um, control experiment uh, over human psychology, I would think there are much better vector mechanisms that they could use. Yeah, all they'd that. have to do is put a rumor up on the Internet, and, and yeah. there you'd have your mass hysteria. I, I don't think they need to go to those lengths. I think that certainly they could be using them for both offensive and defensive military purposes, but I don't think they're trying to brainwash the public when we could easily be brainwashed by tossing a rumor up on Twitter, and before you know it, it's all around the world. Could it be an unintended consequence? It could be an unintended consequence, and actually one of the unintended consequences, I was actually reading this not too long ago about the Heart Project, uh, is, is that there has been a an increase in uh, deaths of a specific freak, or a specific species of whale? Yeah, uh, absolutely. That they are they are attributing that to the frequencies that the, the Heart Project uses. So I think there definitely yes, there could be some unintended consequences of it. Um, you know, you've probably seen TV shows where a person's talked about the government is beaming uh, beaming something into my head, kind of stuff. And <laughs> sure, it's possible. Um, but again, you, you know, I would think with the vast resources that, that the government has, uh, that they would probably find much more specific ways of infiltrating uh, the human population <laughs> rather than doing it like that. I mean, the Heart Project, it, it extends a significant distance, but it doesn't cover the whole globe, first of all. Uh, it uses ELF, which is a very, very low-frequency sound, which will travel fairly far distances, but once you get it in water... Uh, those distances start to diminish. It was designed initially for, as you had mentioned, for communication with submarines, uh, but there's also a very limited distance that the, those frequencies can travel underwater propagating until they finally run out of steam. So I don't think it's possible that you could, you know, have a global conspiracy from, from the Heart Project, but you never know. Well, uh, congratulations to you both. Uh, the resonance key, I think uh, you've done a, a wonderful job in helping to bridge the gap between science and uh, the paranormal. It's a great read, and uh, you've taken a lot of very complex uh, ideas and made them um, very presentable and uh, accessible. So uh, I thank you for the book, and I thank you for your time. 
Oh, thank you for having us. Yeah, definitely. All right, Marie Jones and Larry Flaxman, again, the book The Resonance Key. And uh, coming up in just mere moments, we'll investigate Bible codes. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. We deal in illusions, man. None of it is true. But you people sit there day after day, night after night, all ages, colors, creeds. We're all you know. You're beginning to believe the illusions we're spinning here. You're beginning to think that the tube is reality and that your own lives are unreal. You do whatever the tube tells you. You dress like the tube. You ate like the tube. You raise your children like the tube. You even think like the tube. This is mass madness, you maniacs. In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion. Don't turn off your television sets. Turn them off now. Turn them off right now. Turn them off and leave them off. Turn them off right in the middle of the sentence I'm speaking to you now. Turn them off. Brainwashed in our childhood. Brainwashed by the school. Brainwashed by our teachers. Brainwashed by all the rules. Brainwashed by our leaders. By our kings and queens. Brainwashed in the open and brainwashed behind the scenes. Love from Toronto, Canada. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Uh, next week on the program, the entire two hours uh, dedicated to 9-11. 9-11-2001, of course. And uh, that day which will live in infamy, uh, well, for the rest of our lives and beyond. We'll, uh, we'll take a look at... Uh, some of the theories of what happened and uh, who was really responsible. Again, for the full two hours, that's Sunday, September the 13th, here on The Conspiracy Show. Now, for those of you keeping score, three years, 110 days, six hours, 55 minutes, and 44 seconds until Mayan Doomsday. That's December 22nd, 2012. That's the, um, the counter or the, uh, the ticking clock on my next guest's website, which is www.satansrapture.com. That's rather provocative, to say the least. And he is a very provocative fellow indeed. He is uh, the founder of the Church of Philadelphia Internet and the author of The Answer to Raptures and uh, also uh, Escape 666, Bible Prophecy Revealed. And he's here to discuss... The encrypted messages that can be found in the Bible using a software program. They're called Bible Codes. And uh, here to talk more is Pastor Harry. Hello, Pastor Harry. How are you? I'm pretty good, Richard. How are you? I'm well. It's good to have you back on board again here on the uh, the Conspiracy Show. Yes, it is. You know, things have changed a lot since I've been on the show the last time. Because now, under the Obama administration, if we speak against this health care plan in any way, we're labeled domestic terrorists. All right, well... So, uh, I mean, uh, with the information I'm going to bring right now, I do bring with some risk, I guess, you know, in this new abomination we live in. Fair enough. We, and that might, uh, might catch some people by surprise. They're probably saying to themselves, what does Barack Obama have to do with uh, Bible codes? Let's step back for a minute and again... Appreciating that uh, we've got a, a whole new audience here, and uh, um, many listening are not familiar 
with Bible codes, or they're not in, they're not intimately familiar with what what, what Bible codes are. Uh, I'll get you to explain once again uh, what they are and and how they can be found and 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 uh, what you think they really mean. Okay. Well, back in 1982, it was discovered that there were hidden ELS computer messages in the Old Testament in the five books of Moses that could be found with computer programs. ELS is equal uh, equal lettering sequences. Right, equidistant letter sequencing. It simply means that if you take out all the spaces in, in say, the book of Genesis, so it's just strings of letters, then there will be there's certain key words and phrases and events that are encoded, like, say, every five letters would start to form, like, uh, the 9-11 attack, let's say, was in the Bible code. And... Um, and that really launched the, the entire thing. And then in time, people realized that every major event in the last 2,000 years of human history is found in the Bible code. And, and when I saw the 9-11 attack was in the Bible code after the fact, like everyone else did, that's when I realized that the code could be used to predict future events and warn us of things. And I would say that this year, 2009, is the most Bible-encoded year I have ever seen. And the Bible code warns that 5770, which is the equivalent of 2010 in our calendar, it starts in the Hebrew calendar on September 18th, that 5770 may well be the year the biblical apocalypse begins. There's a lot of Bible codes that warn of 5770 or 5771. So according to the Bible code, we are really moving into a, a danger zone right now. And if you just look around the world at what's happening in the last few months under, you know, this new Barack Hussein Obama president we have, it's unbelievable. Well, let, let me um, uh, first clarify something. If future events uh, and, and, and those events in the recent past or anything, uh, obviously, that, that happened after the Bible was, was written, uh, if those are encoded or encrypted in the Bible, that would then have to suggest if not prove that the the uh, the origin of the bible uh is supernatural well, well well it is supernatural because and you know in my view only god could have encoded those five books because some people think well maybe it was aliens or extraterrestrials if, if there was only major historical events that's one thing but there's also a lot of information about individual people and, and people personal codes about people that could not have been known by anyone but but for God. So I, I do believe God encoded the Bible code. It was sort of like a message in a bottle that sat there for 3,500 years until our technology would be at the point where we could find these codes. And if, if nothing else, the Bible code does prove that, that, that God did give the five books to Moses, especially Genesis, and, and taught him how, you know, and encoded these messages as Moses was um, writing down, you know, the, um, the text that God dictated to him. Now, is, is it possible that uh, every person is encrypted in the Bible? For example, if you were to uh, use your Bible code uh, software program, you would find my name, uh, in the Bible, you would find uh, my uh, technical producer Dan Ellison's name in the Bible. You would find your name encrypted in the uh, Bible. Uh, 
No, I, I would say not not everyone's name is that I've ever found is in the Bible code because I mean I get I get about between twenty five and fifty emails a week by people wanting to know if their names are in the code, and I always look them up for them, and I'd say maybe. Five percent of people that have ever written to me are in the Bible code. What's interesting, real quick, one, about a few months ago, a girl wrote to me with the name of her uncle. His name was Thomas Miller, and he was dying of, of cancer. And she wanted to know if the code said anything about him. And I was really shocked to see in there in the Bible code, it actually said Thomas Miller, uncle, cancer, dying or near death, and then it said healing, meaning there's still healing available to this person. That was one of the times when I found the personal code. And then somebody once sent me, I started working with the Bible code in 1998, and I was looking at world events and seeing if things in the book of Revelation could be dated in the Bible code. And somebody sent me an email that I'm in the Bible code because I really never looked for myself or personal people. And then I realized that I have about seven Bible codes and one Bible code, it's all po it's posted on our site, one Bible code shows the rapture in 2011 or 2010, or the first of two raptures, and it shows my name, Harry Walter, going straight up into a rapture, and it says, Worthy Messenger, Open Door. And and that, that was pretty amazing, because that's supposed to be what happens according to the book of Revelation as well. I mean, with an open door and the worthy believers go, go through the open door in the heavens. So that, that was pretty amazing. Pastor Harry's with us. Uh, the website satansrapture.com, and uh, he's here discussing Bible codes. Let me uh, let me ask uh, those listening: Do you believe it's possible that messages are encoded, uh, encrypted in the Bible, predominantly the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses? Four one six three six zero zero seven four zero four one six three six zero zero seven four zero and toll free. From out of town, one eight six six seven four zero forty seven forty one eight six six seven four zero forty seven forty. And uh, questions and comments for Pastor Harry about uh, Bible codes, what they are, what they mean, and uh, what might have been actually what uh, uh, event, major historical event, might have been encrypted in these codes. Uh, we're um, we're interested in your uh, your comments now. Let me ask you about, uh, of course, the the uh, the anniversary upcoming nine eleven. Uh, do you foresee? Because I recently saw this on a supermarket tabloid. Uh, the uh, that, that's a number of people who study the Bible have suggested that nine eleven, this coming nine eleven, a few days away, is going to, I guess, mark the beginning of. The end times that the I guess that the uh, that Armageddon would be just around the corner. What do you what have you learned from your Bible code research about this coming 9/11? Well, according to the Bible code, the period between 2006 and 2012 is the end of days, and I, I would say, like I said before, the 5770, according to the Bible code, is when all hell is apart, supposed to break loose on this planet. That would start September 18th. So I, I don't see, I don't see, you know, September 11th. I mean, th there could be a terror attack or something on on September 11th. But in reality, in April of 2009, a few months ago, America was hit with the worst terror attack in the history of uh, of the country. 
and most people don't even realize that. You want to explain that? Yeah, yes, I will. It's okay. fine flu. Okay, let me uh, let me get you hold on to that, and we'll uh, pursue that a little bit further on the other side. Pastor Harry talking Bible codes. Does it sound possible? Is it possible that future events, tomorrow's headlines can be found encrypted in the first five books of the Bible? You tell me. 416-360-0740. 1-866-740-4740. Don't go away. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. AM 740. Pastor Harry, talking Bible codes. Where in the Bible uh, did you find these encrypted messages referring to swine, a swine flu pandemic, uh, Pastor Harry? Well, in the book of Genesis. Uh, you know, actually, it was back in... I just wanted to say some of the things that were encoded for 2009 so people could see how real the Bible code truly is. It, it said, you know, I found this in October of 2008. It said Barack Obama, President Joe Biden. It was um, Vice President Obama's selection. And then it said John McCain, not President. Sarah Palin was his VP, was his selection. And then the Bible Code went on to tell us that Benjamin Netanyahu would become pres would become Prime Minister again of Israel. Then the Bible Code told us that Obama would turn against Israel, and he did. Then the Bible Code warns of swine flu is not in the Bible Code. It's, it's a, swine plague is in the Bible Code. And then the Bible Code went on to give a very detailed description of what's going to happen with swine flu, and it happened. And, you know, another thing that happened this year was a, a day before uh, American Idol results, I went to the Bible Code, and the Code actually says... It said Chris Allen, idol winner, Adam Lambert, idol loser. And, and you know, so let, let, okay, let me let me stop you there, Pastor Harry. If okay. uh, if the uh, architect um, of these Bible codes or the author of these Bible codes is the Creator Himself, uh, God Almighty, uh, why would He bother taking up His valuable time and mind by encrypting messages? about something relating, something as mundane or, uh, you know, as trivial as American Idol? That's a, that's a very good question, because to, to show us that if the code is so right about American Idol, which is a major event, you know, if the code is right about American Idol, I think God put it in for this year to show us it's right about swine flu and everything else that's going to come upon us. That's why. How would you stumble upon... A uh, an encrypted message. I mean, are you are you? Did you, for example, uh, on a on a whim, on a lark, decide? Let me type in this pop culture phenomenon known as American Idol and see if it, it appears in the Bible. Is that how it happened? Well, that's how it happens for a lot of people. I mean, people buy code programs and they get ideas and they put things in and then they see things on the news and put things in. But with me, it doesn't work like that. With me, I I get an inspiration. It's sort of like I get an idea. Like, it's just like I know something is in the code. I, I get like an event in my mind. And when I go to the Bible code, it's in there. And then there's more things for me to see that God wants me to find and, and you know, post on our site. But it's sort of like in the movie 
a lot of people wrote to me jokingly. They saw that movie Knowing with Nicolas Cage. Yes. And they said the movie seems, you know, loosely based on my life. And, it, you know, it, it could be. But it's sort of like a, similar to what happens in that movie. I, I get an idea for a code. It's like I'm in a, not a trance or something, but I get, I'm in a, in a, like a state like that where I get something comes to me. Like something just told me, go to American Idol. It's in the Bible code, and I went there, and there it was. It's uh, not a whim. It's something I believe it's divine. All right. Let's get back to the swine plague that is mentioned in uh, in Genesis. Uh, does does the do the Bible codes say anything about what uh, people are fearing, and that is some sort of a mandatory vaccination program that uh, the World Health Organization themselves are are uh, recommending? Well, uh, um, no. The word vaccination is not in that Bible code because what. What is planned for this country, for America and this world, it, it, it's, it's the lack of vaccine that's going to do the will of these, of the wicked powers that run this world. Be, because without a vaccine, 10, 20, 30 million elderly people in America alone could die this year of swine flu. You know, the, the Bible code tells us that swine flu is going to be a plague and it's going to devastate America, and it's, it seems to target America with mass death. America is going to be hit worse than any other nation. And, and we already see that happening and how it's spreading. And even, even in a mutation, you know, the great fear is of mutation, and it, it swine flu is going to mutate into the same exact influ swine flu influenza of 1918 that killed 60 million people. And there already seems to be a killer strain emerging that's hitting people you know, in their lungs, it's causing, um, you know, a, a crippling pneumonia and organ failure, and it's happening in younger people. And um, so it's, it's the, I, you know, there's a lot of fear of vaccines. Now, personally, I, I wouldn't trust a, anything from Obama. I wouldn't trust any vaccine they come out with. But the point is, it's, I don't think the, the vaccine itself is not designed to kill people. That's just a... That's a fallacy that's out there. It's a fear people have, but the word vaccine is not even in the Bible code with swine flu. But the thing is, the mass death is because the elderly people will not have it, will not have any vaccine this year, and they won't. The hospitals are going to be so filled, you know, they, they won't be able to um, to treat these people. You know, when I saw back in this was back in May, I did this Bible code on swine flu, and it talked about plague and mass death. And now they're talking about last three two weeks ago, the Department of Health and Human Services here in America announced that up to one half of the American population could be infected with swine flu. They're telling us there could be up to a hundred thousand deaths, which will be way worse than that. And then they're telling us that they'll need three hundred thousand ICU units and hospitals, which is impossible. They don't have anywhere near the the hospital. Uh, room or preparedness for anything like this. Well, I know that that's the um, that's the sort of the official line. I, Pastor Harry, I have to uh, maybe part company with you on that one. Uh, I'm not really seeing any evidence. There's a pandemic yet, although the WHO is uh, the World Health Organization saying that this virus is already considered unstoppable. Although they don't seem to have a lot of evidence that it that it's really spreading. Uh, to that extent, most of the cases have been pretty mild, and most people are recovering unaided. Not, nonetheless, all these countries will need vaccines and should follow these priorities as 
Initial supplies will be limited, we're being told. Immunized health care workers, pregnant women, children over six months of age. My gosh, that just seems to be nothing more than a, a, a scare tactic. And I, I think this is part of a major um, psyop. But uh, let's get back to Bible codes with Pastor Harry. And uh, we'll find out what else has been encrypted in the, uh, the books of the Bible when we return. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Just a reminder, next week on the program, we'll dedicate the full two hours to 9-11. A little bit later in the program, towards the the tail end, would love to share a uh, a poem uh, that uh, someone sent in. I, I normally don't recite poetry on the air, but this one is uh, rather interesting and with a bit of a paranormal twist, and I thought it was worth sharing, so we'll do that. Right now, Pastor Harry uh, joins me on the line from upstate New York with uh, the Church of Philadelphia Internet and his website, satansrapture.com. He studies Bible codes. Is this software uh, easily easy to use? Can anyone uh, uh, purchase this Bible code software and, and sit down and, and master it within a few hours or does it take uh, some I don't know some fairly major instruction to, to figure out how to use it well see the thing with the Bible code programs are the programs are in Hebrew and even though like you could type in like um, plague and it will trans it'll translate the word into Hebrew and look for it in the code you're still reading a code matrix in Hebrew so if you can't read Hebrew it's sort of like you're doing the code in the dark. It'd be sort of like re- reading the book of Revelations with a match. You can do it. But the better you can read Hebrew, the, the better you can understand the matrix, because sometimes you can actually see words and lines, you know, sentences and words actually there, and then you can see if they're encoded. So when you can't read Hebrew, you're like just working like in the dark. Uh, like so obviously you speak uh, ancient, ancient Hebrew or just plain Hebrew? Uh, I mean, is there a, well, there's well, a... Well, I can read a lot of Hebrew I read in the Bible code. Okay. You know, people could say ancient Hebrew, modern Hebrew. Most of it is just um, more more ancient Hebrew, I would say, is in the Bible code because the more modern language uses more more lettering. It uses more letters, more vowels and things. Some but, of the uh, other in- interesting uh, things that have been uncovered in these... Uh, these uh, encrypted messages was the assassination of Yitzhak Rabin uh, back in 1995, I believe it was. Right. Well, that was the first Bible code they ever found of a future event, and they showed Yitzhak Rabin that Bible code, and he he didn't believe it. And sure enough, a year later, he was killed when the code said he would be killed, and it said assassin who would assassinate. And after the fact, they found out that the name Amir was encoded there, and that was the person that shot him. Egal Amir. Right. And, um, you know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of codes. But, I mean, there was a code for um, July 30th of this, of this year that there was an assassination attempt on Obama. I found that code three weeks before the fact, and I posted it. That he was actually, that he was, on July 30th of this year obama was supposed to be getting off air force one you know at the top of the stairs yes and it said a sniper was going to fire a sniper would fire a shot or two at him and the sniper would miss but obama was, was would fall down those steps and have a serious accident where he'd break his arm and his leg 
And if you look back a month before that, Hillary Clinton, his Secretary of State, fell and broke her elbow. His Supreme Court pick, Sotomayor, a few weeks later, fell and broke her, her ankle. And then two weeks after that, after Obama met with the Pope and the Pope declared we need a one-world government, he fell and broke his wrist. Well, what happened was I posted that all over the Internet. I, you know, Obama, I, I made sure that he found out about this code. And that the because you were trying to prevent the assassination. Right, I was trying to prevent it because it's in there. Not because I, I, I care for what he's doing to us, but it's, it was the right thing to do. And I posted that code. And all that week of July 30th, Obama was flying all over the place, two, three stops a day, promoting his um, health care plan. And suddenly, they announced two days after, it was on July 28th, they announced on July 30th, that fateful day, Obama was staying home in the White House to have that sit-down with that um, college professor and that Boston policeman. They, they all got into that argument over, uh, you know, that rate, that supposed racial arrest. Yes. So it seems like Barack Obama did follow the Bible Code that day because he did not fly Air Force One. In other words, just because future events are encrypted into the Bible, it doesn't mean that they are not preventable. Exactly. Some, some codes are preventable. It would depend on the nature of a code. A code about an assassination or a terror attack, in theory, could be prevented. And that's why I believe after nine, we saw 9-11 after the fact was in the Bible code, that's when we got the idea that people that study the code, that the code should be used to prevent future attacks. Uh, now, Pastor, well, you and I have talked uh, a number of times, maybe a dozen times over the years on various radio uh, programs. And uh, you've always, there's always been a sense of urgency to get you on because you've had information that you've uncovered in these Bible codes pertaining to an imminent terrorist attack and none of those have, have ever transpired thank god uh... the ones that you've uncovered uh... which me could mean one of two things the fact that uh, you uh... alerted the authorities to these future terrorist attacks uh... prevented them or perhaps someone in one of the intelligence communities also follows bible codes and was able to prevent the attack um, or the other option is that these Bible codes are, uh, I don't know, uh, a, a, a coincidence or, or, or meaningless or simply, uh, you know, they're not true. Uh, let me ask you about the, the, the first part. Do you, do you think that there are people in the CIA or within the National Security Agency, National Security Agency in the, in the United States or other, uh, I don't know, MI6, other in intelligence gathering organizations that actually follow the Bible codes and, and, and make preparations based on the Bible codes? Yes, I do. Especially after 9-11 and with Yitzhak Rabin in Israel. I believe Israel leads, leads the world intelligence in, Bi in Bible code research, and I believe they're, they're assisting, say, the United States and Canada. Because it does seem like the United States and Canada working together back in May of 2008 prevented a terror attack on the city of Philadelphia with Ebola. Because um, two days, this Ebola virus was supposed to be released on the city of Philadelphia on Mother's Day, which was May 11, 2008. And two days earlier, an unprecedented event happened in Canada. The Canadian authorities stopped a passenger train going towards Ontario 
towards New York City. And they actually quarantined two cars with, I'm sure you know about this. There yes, I remember. There were helicopters, there was men in hazmat suits, the military quarantined two cars and took off seven passengers that were, quote, sick with a mysterious flu-like illness. And they really covered it up, and you never heard much about that again. That's very true. We never, we never heard uh, boo about that again. So your contention is that what actually happened was the uh, the terrorists intending to infect the, the, the city of Philadelphia with Ebola um, were aboard that train. Perhaps they had the, the pathogen in some sort of a test tube. Uh, somehow it escaped. They became violently ill, or they infected another passenger with Ebola. And this was all sort of... A, hidden uh, or, or kept uh, quiet, but in fact, what happened was the authorities were able to avert uh, a, a huge catastrophe if, if, in fact, this Ebola was released on, on, on a large population in Philadelphia, about five million people, I think. That's exactly right. I think those people infected themselves because, you know, people just coughing a little bit or, or sneezing back in May of 2008, that doesn't stop a train. So they may have been really sick. They could have been vomiting blood all over the windows. They could have been convulsing. I think they were so sick that you know they would call, and it would cause a plus. I think they were looking for something like that, some some type of you know terrorist coming in a train towards Philadelphia. So I mean, yeah, I, I would say the intelligence agencies are using the Bible code, and they also look at what freelance people come up with. They say myself, you know, because I post so many things on our website. You know, and I, it's, I try to get information out as soon as I can. That's what I did with swine, with swine flu. But like I said, back to that, the Bible code is warning us that it's going to be, become a deadly plague across America. Now, it, it may mutate. And, and once it mutates, then, then it would become, you know, lethal like it was in, uh, the exact flu of 1918, where it directly, you know, hits people's lungs. And the Bible code also said something else that was very frightening. It talked about it becoming like rabies, and throughout throughout the south, throughout the south of America, called the Bible Belt, it, rabies is rampant right now. There's a rabies epidemic, and it's possible the swine flu, which is an airborne flu, could somehow mute, mutate with rabies, which is uh, it's transmitted by bites. But an airborne type of rabies, if that would happen, I'm not saying it would, but if that would happen. That would cause a dawn of a dead-like scenario where people would literally go psychotically violent. They would go insane. And we live in a country of, you know, people going psychotic. We live in a country of 600,000 guns and, uh, I mean, 600 million guns and about 1,200 uh, million weapons of every kind you can imagine. That would be like a, like a horror movie come true. Now, that's something in the code. You know, that's one other thing Obama could have done. He could have started a major ma rabies awareness campaign to have, you know, to have dogs and cats throughout this country vaccinated. He did nothing. But what's really interesting, Richard, is back in April of 2009, when swine flu was first announced on television, they, it was in five or six states, and there was 11 confirmed cases. And the Obama administration sat back and did nothing. And they let swine flu spread to every city, state, and town in America. And, you know, Obama could have took dramatic measures when it first hit. He could have shut down all flights in and out of Mexico because they knew the outbreak was in Mexico. It wasn't an unknown outbreak where it was coming from. They could have shut down all flights in and out of Mexico, and they didn't. 
and they could have um, sealed the uh, they could have sealed the legal border. So your contention is that the that the U.S. government wants the uh, this this swine flu to develop into a, a pandemic. It sounds like. Well, they wanted this to happen exactly because they didn't stop it. And then you know, Obama got on television a month later and he said we're doing everything possible to stop the spread, uh, spread of swine flu, which was a total lie. Why would, why would uh, the president want uh, a swine flu uh, to become a pandemic? Well, I'll tell you why. For two reasons. But before I tell you, I just want to tell you what it said in the Bible code. When I went in the Bible code and I looked up swine flu, it says Barack Obama is in there four times. And four times he's encoded with the word delay and evildoer. And the code was telling us exactly what would happen. That Obama would delay. He would do nothing to stop the spread of this. And that's why it would spread across America. You see, swine flu, for the powers that be, if you believe in the Illuminati, if you believe in a satanic, a satanic shadow group of wealthy people, runs our world to bring about a new world order, because they do. And the United Nations is part of this, and they believe that... Only through a religion, a one-world religion, can they attain their goals. But one thing swine flu will do, for sure, is it, it will push the world towards a cashless society, into a one-world currency and a credit card-only society, because one of the major uh, transmitters of, or carriers of swine flu, they're going to say, is cash money. To some degree, that's true. But, you know, if, if money, if people handle money, they cough on money, they sneeze on money, they transfer money, they handle money that other people touch. And that's why once this thing is pandemic, even in the state it's in, to prevent a mutation and, and you know, uh, two, three billion people dead, I think very soon they're going to have to do away with cash money. And that will, so if we're, we're in a cashless society, with a one-world currency, everyone using a credit card, that gives the government far more control over every person's transactions. And then the next step would be when the Antichrist comes to just move it all to a, a digital scannable tattoo, which will be the mark of the beast. And if you don't partake in this Luciferic initiation, you're totally locked out of a system. So I believe the powers that be will use swine flu to bring about the end of cash money. Uh, Pastor Harry, it sounds like what you're describing with uh, the swine flu and uh, uh, future uh, depopulation programs, etc. It sounds like we're heading into uh, that seven-year period where things go south in a hurry called the tribulation in, uh, in Revelation. We'll, uh, we'll talk further about that and what other uh, future cataclysms may await as told by the Bible codes stay with us the owners of the system are asleep now we can play The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio AM 740 I mentioned several times in the show that uh, next week we'll discuss 9-11 for the full two hours I also wanted to uh give you some advanced warning that next Thursday at 6 p.m. I'll be on the Michael Corrin show discussing 9-11 on uh, CTS. So check your local listings for uh, the channel. I believe it's channel 9 in the uh, Toronto area of memory serves. That's the Michael Corrin show, 6 p.m. Thursday, September the 10th, and it repeats the following day at 12 noon. All right, Pastor Harry is uh, here. The website, satansrapture.com. 
and we're discussing uh, Bible codes. Uh, these events that you're discussing, uh, this uh, swine flu uh, a pandemic possibly mutating with uh, rabies, uh, which would, uh, would basically recreate a scene out of um, uh, Dawn of the Dead, as you, uh, you mentioned. Uh, a nation of crazed zombies running around uh, attacking uh, uh, um, people. Uh, is this, in fact, do you believe the beginning of the tribulation, that seven-year period that precedes uh, Armageddon? Well, we're, we're leading up to that. You see, whatever happens this year with swine flu, I get into that in a minute. I mean, I'm trying to, you know, it's a lot of information. It's like compressed. Well, whatever, whatever happens with swine flu this year, however bad things happen in the United States, especially the United States and around the world with swine flu and mutation, what, what, what is, and whatever evil plans they have for us, it, it's all going to blow up in Obama's face because Probably no later than June, as Israel said, did they have till um, June 2010 to stop Iran's nuclear weapons program, or it's too late. They believe Iran may have a nuclear weapon and will destroy them. So when Israel hits Iran, that that's what's going to trigger all hell to break loose on this planet. And that will lead to a series of cataclysmic events leading to the first of two rapture events and the coming of Antichrist to bring world peace. And that will start the tribulation period when he makes a peace treaty with Israel and the Muslim world. So we're really racing towards that now. Because, you know, right now, besides swine flu, the world's in the most dangerous situation that it has ever been in. I mean, North Korea is, is going full steam ahead with their nuclear weapons program. They tested nuclear weapons. They're building new nuclear weapons. Iran is, is building nuclear weapons. They're getting more. Russia wants to sell them some more... Um, highly sophisticated um, mid-range missiles that can hit Israel. Iran already has missiles that can hit Israel. Um, Russia is getting much more aggressive in the world. So everything is, the world is getting to be a much more violent place, but Israel must stop Iran, and that's going to be the trigger for everything. But the Bible Code warns us about swine flu. Like I said, it, you know, viruses are totally unpredictable. Are you suggesting and, that... that uh uh, the the swine uh, pandemic uh, that's going to decimate the United States is somehow God's retribution for the Barack Obama administration turning their back on Israel? Uh, no, I, I really don't for one reason. Because Obama ran on a platform, a, well, everything he ran on was a lie, but he ran on a pro-Israel platform, a friend of Israel platform, continuing where President Bush left off, and people believed him. So America voted for Obama, thinking he's a friend of Israel. Then a month or two into his administration, he turned on Israel. So it's really, it's Barack Obama that is the enemy of Israel. You know, where God said, he'll bless those that bless Israel and curse those that curse Israel. It's Obama that's a cursed person because he's, he's turned on Israel. Uh, you see, if, if Obama ran on an anti-Israel if Obama ran on an anti-Israel program, you know, platform, and then America elected him as a whole, then America would be bringing this, you know, this plague on themselves. But really, we can only thank one person for swine flu in America, and that's Barack Obama. And besides the powers to be using this to bring us to a cashless society, the Bible Code warns of, of in, in both the Barack Obama Bible Code and in the Swine Plague Bible Code 
that Obama is going to declare martial law, and he's going to take total control of this country. And, you know, I, I heard in your show earlier, a few minutes, I caught the last guest about conspiracies, and, you know, conspiracies without facts fall apart quickly. But if we look at what the Bible Code warns about swine flu, martial law in the United States under Obama, and we look at what Obama has done in the last three months, the framework and machinery is already in place for, for martial law, a total takeover of our government. Back in August of 2009, just last month, Obama signed an executive order giving the military the power to come in anywhere in the United States where they're needed for quarantines and to maintain social order. And just a few, last week, Obama's eve or passed it, a week before he signed an executive order giving him the power to shut down the Internet in times of national crisis. And, and the Bible Code, I was going to release this on 9909, but because, you know, since Obama came in, Richard, I've gotten very few interviews. I used to get like about 100 interviews a year since he came in. The only, the only few shows in Canada or anyone that even allows me to talk anymore. You know, shows that don't broadcast out of the United States. I think people are very afraid of him. But the Bible Code warns that, you know, people, it's, it's not martial law. It's, it's where it happens. Because there's one place in the United States that if it's hit with a swine flu mutation, or they claim it's a swine flu mutation, Obama could take total control of the United States within, say, three days. You know, you know what, you know, and that would be New York City. Because if the financial district of New York City is hit with an outbreak, you know, you have the major banks in America, you have the major financial and lending institutions, you have the major insurance companies, you have the stock exchange. Obama would seize total control of, of everything within a few days, and that's what the Bible Code actually tells us. Uh, if you subscribe to the idea of this um, a powerful secret elite that are stage managing events uh, and the end game here is total global domination the uh, the uh, well the the ushering in of the reign of the antichrist uh, the um, you know the mark of the beast uh, which might be um, preceded by uh, you know the move towards a ca the cashless society. I mean, we're already there. We're in that age of the cashless society, uh, depopulation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Why would you not then? Uh, I mean, from that, it's only a small step to uh, then suggest that the swine flu has in fact been engineered, uh, and that also, or uh, has been has been totally hyped. And that the the um, we have less to fear from the disease, which is swine flu, and more to more to fear from the cure, which is vaccinations. Well, actually, I think we have the most to fear from Obama and what he's going to do in reaction to swine flu. No, my so suggestion, my, my my I guess my question, Pastor Harry, is um, uh, uh, why wouldn't why would the Illuminati simply wait for some naturally occurring calamity to come ar to come about and then somehow um, manipulate that to their end rather than create the disease to begin with well that's a very good point and you know the bible code does say two times a very weird phrase with swine plague it says scientists release scientists release, release. swine so flu it's very possible that Dark forces release swine flu in Mexico because Mexico is a is, would be the perfect place to release swine flu because 
it's a very in a lot of ways it's it's a third world country you know and it, it could easily be spread in in the pig population and among people if swine flu released to mexico they knew it would flow right in the united states obama would probably be told let it happen exactly what she did uh, you know and through this virus they could attain their goals but here's the question we keep hearing so we keep hearing on television the great threat is if swine flu mutates if swine flu mutates you know if it becomes the killer of 1918 but it may not be a question of if it mutates it may just be a question of when it mutates because if they released one strain of the weaker strain all they have to do is release the more deadly, you know, 1918 strain, just one place, as I said, in the United States, one isolated place. New York City. New All right. New York City, and they've given them total control of us. Total control. Pastor Harry, we'll check in with you in a couple of weeks. Obviously, we need to stay on top of this. Are you good for that? Next week, perhaps. Well, uh, code warns of a date of a, of a month. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll check in in two weeks. because next month. So yeah. That'll be a good time. Excellent. Pastor Harry, thank you for this. Well, thank you. Appreciate your time. Pastor Harry, the website, satansrapture.com. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Special thanks to uh, Patrick and Kadena at uh, Conspiracy Culture for their friendship and support and... Uh, I'm just in, uh, eternally uh, indebted to, to those two very special people. So uh, when you do s- uh, stop by Conspiracy Culture at 1696 uh, Queen Street, uh, please say hello to uh, Patrick and uh, Kadena. Now, I want to uh, I want to I want to read something to you that someone sent to me. It's it's a poem. And as I say, I don't normally recite poetry on the show. That's not what we're about. However, this one. Uh, really touched a nerve. I have uh, twin boys who will be three years old next month. And the person who sent this, I'm not sure if they were aware that I had twin boys. Nevertheless, a drunk man in an Oldsmobile, they said, had run the light that caused the six-car pileup on 109 that night. When broken bodies lay about and blood was everywhere, the sirens screamed out eulogies, for death was in the air. A mother, trapped inside her car, was heard above the noise, her plaintive plea near split the air. Oh God, please spare my boys. She fought to lose, loose her pinned hands. She struggled to get free but mangled metal held her fast in grim captivity her frightened eyes then focused on where the back seat once had been but all she saw was broken glass and two children's seats crushed in her twins were nowhere to be seen she did not hear them cry and then she prayed they'd been thrown free Oh, God, don't let them die. Then firemen came and cut her loose. But when they searched the back, they found therein no little boys. But the seatbelts were intact. They thought the woman had gone mad. 
and was traveling alone. But when they turned to question her, they discovered she was gone. Policemen saw her running wild and screaming above the noise in beseeching supplication, Please help me find my boys. They're four years old and wear blue shirts. Their jeans are blue to match. One cop spoke up. They're in my car. They don't seem to have a scratch. They said their daddy put them there and gave them each a cone, then told them both to wait for mom to come and take them home. I've searched the area high and low, but I can't find their dad. He must have fled the scene, I guess. And that's very bad. The mother hugged the twins and said, while wiping at a tear, He could not flee the scene, you see. He's been dead a year. The cop just looked confused and asked, Now, how can that be true? The boys said, Mommy, Daddy came and left a kiss for you. He told us not to worry and that you would, would all be all right and that he put us in his car with this pretty flashing light. We wanted him to stay with us because we miss him so. But Mommy, he just hugged us tight and said he had to go. He said someday we'd understand and told us not to fuss. And he said to tell you, Mommy, he's watching over us. The mother knew without a doubt that what they spoke was true. For she recalled their dad's last words. I will watch over you. The fireman's notes could not explain the twisted, mangled car and how the three of them escaped without a single scar. But on the cop's report was scribed in print so very fine. An angel walked the beat tonight on Highway 109. That's it for me. Hope you'll join me next week. Our two-hour show on 9-11. You can follow me on Twitter. You can follow this program at richardserrett.com. Upcoming shows, previous shows. Contact me at www. Sorry. Contact me at Conspiracy Show at am740.ca. Conspiracy Show at am740.ca. My thanks to Dan Allison, my technical producer. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There is nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light, and what I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.